0: Minister of Public Policy. On Tuesday, October 21st, sorry, October 2020 in the House of Assembly, the Honorable Premier stated that the Tourist Board is no longer fit for purpose and that the Tourist Board has a narrow mandate and is data deficient and do not have enough resources. He went on to state that it will be wind up and that two new entities Will be created a destination management and marketing organization and a tourist authority. Will the honourable premier please say if any of the current employees of the tourist board will be left unemployed due to no permanent placement, no placement being offered to them, in either of the two entities?
1: Mr. Speaker, I thank the leader of the opposition for his question. The answer, Mr. Speaker, is quite simple, and that answer is no. The first report is a no one. It, it is not a hot court, cost-cutting exercise. This is not a redundancy exercise. Uh, there's no need to implement a redundancy program. And this is a reorganization of tourism to meet the 21st century. The tourist board has been around now as we know it for nearly 40 years without any change whatsoever, right? It was really under the PNP administration of of 2003 and 2009 that tourism grew to the extent that it has grown and that is based on a number of initiatives that we continue to benefit from today, uh, which has raised the profile of the destination. I think, as I said over and over, there are some God-given attributes of Turks and Caicos Islands that has continued to attract visitors to these shores. And uh, we can't take it for granted. We have to be deliberative and intentional about what it is we want our tourism t- to be. And so the intention is, this is not a cost-cutting exercise It's not a redundant exercise. The intention is not to put people out of work. The intention is to redeploy every person uh, who currently works with the tourist board who want to be redeployed. Those people obviously have a choice as to whether they want to stay with the board or stay with tourism or stay stay within the framework that is being developed or move on to a different job. I'm not gonna hold them back but the intention is not to put anybody out of work. Thank you very much, Honorable
2: Premier. Mr. Speaker, I have a supplementary. Supplementary. The chair recognizes the Honorable Opposition appointed member.
0: Mr. Speaker, thank you um, to the Honorable Premier. Thanks for the answer. Um, can the Honorable Premier um, say whether or not um, those employees, that go on to um, continuous employment with these two new entities. Will they um, maintain their current salaries? Thank you. thank
1: you. Mr Speaker There is a there is a employment there are employment ordinances and other ordinances that apply to the, the whole area of, of work. And so I can't answer that question. I can't say that they will or they will not. They may be, depending on the jobs that they move into, they, they may be better salaries. That is not, there's a whole exercise that has to take place to determine which jobs will be created As I said, there's a revenue, sorry, there's a tourism authority that will be established aimed at regulating the industry in terms of quality assurance uh, and other regulatory aspects of tourism that we're going to deliver a sustainable tourism product. And then, of course, there is a marketing and management organization that will also be created. I don't know what the details will be. All I know is that it is not the intention of this government that anyone who currently employs a tourist board will be unemployed. I'm not going to speculate as to what the level of their salaries will be. I think uh, suffice it to say those people who are committed to delivering quality service and who are committed to working hard for the improvement of the the economy of these islands should have no worry, no worry whatsoever. Thank you very much, Honourable Premier.
2: The Chair recognizes the Honourable Leader of the
0: Opposition. Do you yes. have a supplementary, sir? No, sir. I was going on to, or you will call on me for the next question. Oh, okay. Yes,
2: sir. Yes. Um, um, Parliament. Parliamentary question number two to be asked by the Honourable Leader of Opposition to the Honourable Premier and Minister for Public
1: Policy.
0: Um, Thank you very much, Mr. Speaker. Mr. Speaker, I'd like to withdraw parliamentary question number two and move on to question number three to the Honourable Premier. Please proceed. Yes. To the Honourable Premier and Minister of Public Policy, in a number of press conferences, to the nation, the Honorable Premier stated that Royal Caribbean would be coming to Grand Turk by the end of the year. Will the Honorable Premier be pleased to inform this Honorable House if Royal Caribbean will still be calling on the island of Grand Turk, and if so, when? Honorable Premier. Mr. Speaker,
1: I am informed by Royal Caribbean that they still intend to be calling into Grand Turk during the course of the end of this year and during the course of the coming season. Uh, They expect to do so by utilizing the Carnival Port. The, The Carnival manages the port. and. Port is available to cruise ships who want to call here. Of course, Carnival has the first call on the port, but Royal Caribbean have met with Carnival. They have spoken to me and they have said that it's their intention to start calling into Grand Turk this this uh, during the course of December, but certainly during the course of the winter season.
2: The chair recognizes the honorable leader opposition.
0: Thank you very much, Mr. Speaker. To the Honourable Premier, uh, is it still their intention to tender in downtown, or that plan have gone by the wayside? Honourable Premier,
1: thank you, Mr. Speaker. Thank the Honourable Leader of the Opposition. Uh, It is still very much their plan, and negotiations with Royal Caribbean in that regard continues.
2: Parliamentary question number four to be asked by the Honourable Leader of the Opposition, to the Honourable Premier and Minister for Policy.
0: Uh, Thank you very much, Mr. Speaker. To the Honourable Premier, in the Ministry of Tourism, Tourism Town Hall meeting on Tuesday, October 27, 2021, the Honorable Premier stated that it took some 11 meetings with Carnival Cruise Line between May and October of this year to reach to signing the new agreement two weeks ago. That's when, it's, uh, when the questions was given out. It was two weeks ago. It was also stated by the Honorable Premier that it is a far better agreement than before. Will the Honorable Premier be pleased to inform this Honorable House of A, what are the term limits of the new contract? B, how long is the project for for Carnival, how long will it take For Carnival to recruit their $25 million investment? C, is there any exclusivity rights given to Carnival for the island of Grand Turk? D, is there any clause that prevents other cruise lines from calling on the downtown area of Grand Turk by use of tenders to transfer passengers to land? And E, is there any clause that dictates or speak to the amount of ship calls any other potential cruise line can make to Grand Turk in the downtown area? I don't know if you want to take it one at a time so I can go with A. First, what are the term limits of the new contract? Honorable Prima. Thank you.
1: Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Thank you, Honorable Leader of the Opposition. The questions come in several parts, from A through E, and I am prepared to address them one by one. The first A is what is the term limit of the new contract? Okay. In the first place, this is a an amended contract. It's not a situation where the contract came to an end and negotiations started all over again from ground zero. Carnival's had a contract since two thousand and five and there might have been iterations of that. Right? But the underlying basis of that contract continue to exist. So the term of the contract was extended. The original contract that was from 2005 for 40 years, and, uh, 49 years, it's just to 2054. The contract was extended for a further 10 years. Point one. Second point. B. How long is it pro- projected for Carnival to recoup the in- the investment of twenty five million dollars? That question is bundled into a number of other issues. There is reference made in the contract to recovery date. That's not a new term. That was in the old. That was in the old agreement based on current calculation. Had COVID-19 not intervened, it was anticipated that the contract recovery date would, would arrive sometime in 21, 22. That can no longer be the case because there's been no activity since March of 2019. And so the recovery date of the Carnival contract is really dependent on a number of things. One, uh, to the extent that there needs to be additional capital investment over and above the $25 million. and to the extent that one of the things we've asked Carnival to do is to. Provide us with additional information in terms of the original calculation that would have taken us to 2021-22 in terms of the first recovery date. That information is being waited is we're waiting on that information so we can have it audited to be ensure that that was in fact a realistic date and to ensure what should be included in the new recovery date going forward. Carnival argues that they've actually accelerated the payment to us. we want to be absolute, that, which means that is the base, the reason why the recovery date was as early as it was projected to be. We just look at getting the evidence to ensure that that is in fact the case. In the meantime, it would have been a huge disservice the people of grand turk and turks and Caicos. if we were to wait for all of that detail to be provided before we open the port i think you would agree with me so those are issues that are still being resolved um, number c is there any exclusivity rights given to carnival for the island of grand turk in fact there was an exclusivity in 2005 that exclusive exclusivity does no longer exist. So the contract has been improved to the extent they do not have uh, any further exclusive exclusivity on a cruise or uh, cruise of uh, other ships calling in. So there's no exclusivity rights Uh, as it relates to, they have, uh, they managed the port and, um, there was never an exclusivity rights in terms of other cruise ships coming into Grand Turk, they had an exclusivity in terms of other cruise ports being developed or if, to use the word ports, uh, loosely. D is there any clauses that prevent other cruise lines? From calling on the downtown area by use of tenders to transport passengers to land. That is a provision that the current arrangement has made provided for. But you would agree there is currently the situation in downtown Grand Turk is not conducive for any ship to tender any any passengers, any tourists to tend to the shore. There's not a facility there for them to land on, and there's no facility there for to accommodate them or to process them when they if they were to come offshore. So the simple question answer is that there is other cruise lines are not prevented from coming into uh Grand Turk subject to proper arrangements being made to accommodate the ship passengers and uh, and see is there any clauses that dictates or speak to the amount of ship calls by other potential cruise lines can make to, to grant Turk in the downtown area the capacity one of the and we may get to this later, but one of the issues is that the carrying capacity of this island, Carnival of new ships can deliver, I think, somewhere between six and 8,000 passengers a day. And you, let us say we had another six to 8,000 passengers disgorging on Grand Turk. You answer the question to so whether you think the environment, the capacity, the carrying capacity of these islands can accommodate those number of passengers. So yes, with these issues are being worked out in terms of what is the carrying capacity before the whole issue is determined in terms of the number of persons that can be disgorged from a second location on Grand term. Um And so the issue as to whether there's any limit uh, currently, it speaks to one ship at a time. Okay. One ship at a time that is what is being. And so we're still discussing numbers rather than ships. Okay. But currently it speaks to one ship at a time. And even that ships would normally stay in port for a day that uh, one could extrapolate that that would mean per day. Um so that is my answer to the question.
0: The Chair recognizes the Honourable the Opposition. Uh Mr Speaker, I want to thank the Honourable Premier for that detailed answer. However, uh one or two of the things that were not clear in the answer. Uh, did the Honorable Premier said that Carnival have exclusivity that, in the sense that only one port, as in terms of dock, can be in Grand Turk. They have exclusivity that there can be no other docking port.
1: Absolutely, they have it. They had it from day one and they still have it. The exclusivity in terms of a single port, in terms, in terms of the definition of a port. It doesn't mean uh, the official port in Grand Turk is is where it is, right? Um, so, in terms of the language in the agreement, yes, right. That doesn't prevent, and that is strictly from a from the perspective of uh, marketing, or one of the perspectives, but it doesn't prevent someone from having a cruise, another cruise facility based on the ability to to into, into uh, downtown.
0: One, one more.
2: The chair recognizes the Honorable Leader of the Opposition. Yes,
0: yeah. uh, thank you very much, Mr. Speaker. Uh, one other thing that isn't made clear uh on the UNGO Premier, uh, over the years, uh, all the competitors of Carnival said uh, would say that it's difficult for them to plan schedule Grand Turk because they would get notices at the last minute whether whether they can come or not. And they cannot have passengers on a ship saying that we're going to Grand Turk after we leave. Uh, such and such an island, and then carnival kind of come back and say, "Well, you cannot come." That is why we haven't been seeing some brands there. Uh, they a lot of their competitors think that they are being uh, freeze out of the market. Is this still the case that Carnival kind of can cancel on them anytime and say, "No, my ships can come," and that will make it hard for other brands to call on the Grand 30? Honourable Um...
1: Mr. Speaker, there is something in business called first mover advantage. Carnival has first mover advantage. They have invested their money, developed a facility before anyone else. Right, so they have first mover advantage. They, the way the agreement was written initially, Carnival has uh, manages the port. They, they are our public-private partner. Uh, clearly, if it was any one of us, we would prefer, uh, we operate in our our uh, self-interest before we operate in the interest of our, our competitor. And how Carnival operates and who it gives preference to, to use its port, uh, to use the port. Uh, I don't know how that decision is made. What I do know is that other ships have called that are not under the Carnival flag or under the Carnival, under the company of which Carnival is one operator, have called in the Grand Turk. I know for a fact. But in terms of how they de- decide and whether it is uh, on the basis of um, caprice that have been capricious about it, I don't really know. But I do know, technically speaking, any ship can call into the port and I guess it is subject to availability. whether. That availability is, in some way, restricted by Carnival providing preference to itself, or not. I, I am. Uh, I think that is almost will almost be expected. But I would want to know what the leader of the opposition would do in those in that case. You have a partner that's been here for what 16 years or long. I don't know. Uh, what what do you do? The contract exists. Uh, and it has existed since 2005. So, what would you do? Would you shut them down and close the port?
2: The uh, Chair recognizes the Honorable Leader of the Opposition. Yes,
0: thank you very much, uh, Mr. Speaker. Answer these uh, government questions. And not lead of the opposition questions, but I'll be happy to answer that if the premier wants to. But, uh, Mr. Mr. Speaker, you know I do have an answer for that. But since uh this is lead of the opposition questions, you know I'll move on. Mr. Speaker. Parliamentary question number five to be asked by the Honourable Leader of the Opposition to the Honourable Premier and Minister for Public Policy. Uh, Mr. Speaker, I will withdraw questions five and six as the answers have been gathered uh, all the forums uh, throughout from the time the questions were on the agenda. So it's no, no longer necessary. Okay, then I'll move to question number seven. To be asked by the Honorable Leader of
2: the Opposition to the Honorable Deputy Premier and Minister for Finance, Investment and Trade.
0: Yes, thank you very much. To the Honorable Deputy Premier, In the Ministry of Tourism Town Hall meeting on Tuesday, October 27, 2021, the Honourable Deputy Premier stated that the Honourable Premier had worked on all the agreements concerning the new contract. The word "new" was used, but we hear that it's existent. But new contract between between the government and Carnival Cruise Line, and that it has taken a while to get the Carnival agreement done. He went on to say that the government has delivered an agreement that is in the best interest of the people of Grand Turk. Will the Honorable Deputy Premier be pleased to state the elements in the new contract or the extended contract that makes it in the best interest for the people of Grand Turk?
2: Honorable Deputy Premier.
0: Uh, thank you, Mr. Speaker. The, uh, since the Premier is the one who worked on the uh, the contract, it's quite detailed, and he's very familiar with it. I'm more than happy to pass it to him. and you see right here, and I'll give him the opportunity to be able to answer the question. Honourable, uh, okay, with you.
2: You don't have an issue with it, Honourable Leader of the Opposition? No, no, okay. not. Okay. So uh, the Chair recognises Honourable Premier.
1: Thank you, thank you, Honourable Leader of the Opposition the question is will the honorable deputy premier be pleased to state the elements of the new contract that make it in the best interest of people for the people of grand turk okay there are a number of things that i believe make it in the best interest of the people of grand turk and that is let me start from the infrastructure one we have up until last, up until now, something like $8 million that plus that have been accumulated in that fund that should have gone into the improvements of the environment here in Grand Turk uh, in order to deliver gas satisfaction, but also to improve the the quality of the product here in Turks and Caicos. that has changed in the contract. Uh, Carnival used to be a signatory to any disbursement. They had to provide their agreement as to what projects um, the, the that portion of the fee uh, that is assigned to the infrastructure fund, um, have they had to agree as to how it is to be allocated or spent. The agreement currently provides for the establishment of a grantor enhancement Community Enhancement and Sustainability Fund, which would be operated uh, by a board. Uh, and uh, that will be determined, the allocation and the expenditure of those funds will be a part of the budgetary process. Uh, it will be allocated to this fund and the, the persons who manage the fund Will be the responsible for projects, uh, and it is meant to be just not hard infrastructure projects, but also the, to enhance the culture uh, and the of the islands of the of, of Grand Turk. For example, Grand Turk has extremely rich architectural history uh, and heritage and it, we believe it is in our best interest to create the kind of ambience by redeveloping, renewing in our, uh, for the, to use the word loosely, in our urban areas like Middle Street uh, and other places to rebuild and redevelop a historic district, because at the moment uh, there are limited um, activities and attractions. And if we're talking about intrad- attracting additional passengers, um, we have to ensure that we create the environment we are more, we can increase the amount of money that they spend once they're on shore. But if there's limited activities and limited attractions, then it means they go back on the ship with their money in their pockets. As it stands at the moment, Carnival passengers spent on Grand Turk is less than it is in most other jurisdictions, even though this is one of its most popular destinations. And that is because it does not have the uh, activities that is required or the attractions. And so the ability to ring fence $3 as Carnival will be from the, well, it, it's not not any longer situation. Carnival will be delivering one point, I mean $1.50 in the government $1.50. It is calculated on a percentage basis, but it amounts up to the same. So $3 for every passenger that land whether it comes from Carnival Ship or whether, when and if we get a facility in downtown, the same thing will occur. Every passenger that land on Grand Turk, uh, $3 will go into the infrastructure or to the uh, Grand Turk Community Enhancement and Sustainability Fund, right? To redevelop the physical features of these islands in its traditional architectural vernacular. The intention is to have not only the construction of reconstruction of old buildings, the refurbishment of buildings that still can be saved, but also This would require uh, project management. It would require uh, curators. Um, It would require historians. Because we need to be able to have a story to tell and and artifacts, right? So that the whole tourism now is about experience. People could go anywhere for some sun, some sand. Partly of it is for experience. And so this is one aspect where it's better. Right? Another aspect where it's better is that um, it makes it uh, very clear that once a recovery date is met, Carnival could only, if, as the manager of the port, because that's what Carnival will become. Once a recovery date is met, then they will just have a management contract over the port and they can only then deduct prescribed expenses. So all of the rest of the passenger fee comes into government coffers, and there's a limit to the expense that they can deduct. They can't deduct anything over 50%. So if they have expenditure 60%, they can only still only deduct 50%, okay. Um, and there are other elements of the agreement, which goes to the, the benefit of the destination because of the very presence of the ship calling. And so I believe when everything is put together, this agreement is superior to the previous one Uh, for those reasons and for other reasons that I will have to pull out the agreement to read to to you. If if you want me to do that, I can.
2: Thank you very much, Honorable Premier. Um, Honorable Leader of the Opposition, questions eight, nine, and 10. Uh, to be asked to the Honorable Minister for Physical Planning and Infrastructure Development, but she's not with us today. Um So do you
0: want to defer those questions? Yes, uh, Mr. Speaker, I would prefer to defer dis- those questions. To, to defer them? Yes. Okay. Uh, can I just direct something to the Chair? Uh, Mr. Speaker, I, I did have a question, uh, a statement, asking for the contract to be laid inside the House. Was that... Question or request out of order. I'm just wondering. I do
2: not see it here. Um, Honourable Premier, do you want to
1: to respond to that, um, Mr. Chair? The the, the minister, uh, up until eight months ago, was the minister of government. and you know what the procedure is. I, right? you know, what the, he, he he already had the information. In any case. Just by the nature of the questions you ask, I know you have the contract, right? Uh, But the truth of the matter is um, it is not – it is the um, agreements are a proprietary property of the cabinet and of this nature and it's not something – that is normally put into the public domain or provided to the opposition. This is nothing new and, and the minister is aware of that. So I don't think he should try that one on.
0: <laughs> the chair recognizes the honorable leader of the opposition. Okay, uh, thank you very much, uh, Mr. Chair, but just for the record, I do not have the new contract. I haven't seen it Uh, with all honesty, but I know of the old contract and I use that to base my questions going forward. Mr. Speaker, it's just that uh, a lot of the questions when we asked what is in it good for the people of uh, Grand Tech, it's just that we wasn't really getting that. So that's why I wanted to see it. And I really thought that 15 to 1. You know, those things would have uh fourteen to one, sixteen to 6. Yeah. Those things would have been changed. You know, I thought some of these procedures would have been changed and uh, this government with that kind of mandate from the people would have the authority to just lay it inside the house. But Mr Speaker, I'll move on. I'll defer those questions and Mr Speaker, the questions to the honorable minister of education. Uh being as these questions I believe that is. Okay. Okay. So, uh, Honourable
1: uh, Premier, Mr. Uh, uh, so speaker. When one looked at the totality of this contract, okay, there are it puts some onus on the government as well, which, because of the existence of the contract and the benefit of past experience, uh, there are certain things that have been put in place that will enhance. The quality of the tourism experience and create new opportunities for vendors and other operators in this space with the aim of maximizing the amount of money that will be retained in our economy. So, um, yes, it's only not, it, it's, it's not 15 to 1. It's, it's 14 to 1 and i think for him to say 15 to one he's depreciating his own value but the truth of the matter is uh we will see in double quick time very shortly that this agreement uh once fully in operation uh will have significant significant improvement to the retention of the money that is left in this economy to the benefit of the people of these islands. Thank you. Thank you very much, Honourable Premier. Honorable Leader of the Opposition, you were talking
2: about the the other questions. Question yes. uh, 12.
0: Question eleven and twelve to the Minister of Education. I do believe Mr Speaker and the Minister of Education, the ministerial statements over the past two houses had addressed these questions and I won't be asking questions just for asking sake. Uh, the public have already been aware of the information that these both these questions are asking from the Minister of Education, uh, uh, Ministerial statements.
2: Okay, so we'll go to parliamentary question number 13 to yes. be asked by the Honorable Leader of the Opposition to the Honorable Attorney General. Yes, thank you very much.
0: To the Honorable Attorney General, will the Honorable Attorney, Attorney General be pleased to say what is the government's plan to get the 387 vacant jobs in the public sector, public service filled before the end of the financial year, which is March 31st, 2021, five months away. Sorry, 2022, which is five months away. Honorable Attorney General.
3: I'm very grateful, Mr. Speaker, and to the Honourable Leader of the Opposition his question, Mr. Speaker, the Office of the Deputy Governor is responsible for the human resources management within the public service. That office is the facilitating agency responsible for recruitment. The Turks and Caicos Islands government began the financial year with a significant number of vacant posts due to the fact. That recruitment for a number of both new and vacant positions was placed on hold during the 2020-2021 financial year as a result of the fact that the government, due to social distancing, work from home, shift, and other hybrid work arrangements, was prevented from having large groups of persons accommodated within its offices um, at one time due to COVID restrictions. Subsequent to this, the 2021-22 budget was passed late in the financial year in July 2021, following the February 2021 general election and the change in government. However, the Human Resources Management Directorate immediately began its recruitment program and has since advertised over 200 posts, with many having been already filled. Therefore, as it stands, the current number of vacancies is well below the number that was reported to the Appropriations Committee. In addition, it should be noted that some of these vacancies are being filled temporarily, such as the 70 persons employed temporarily in ancillary cleaning posts, which are not intended to be permanently recruited in this financial year, as the intention is to privatize cleaning services in a number of areas across government in the new financial year. Mr. Speaker, as recruitment is an ongoing process where positions often fall vacant due to both promotions and departures, the Turks and Caicos Islands government continues to advertise, interview, and recruit positions on a continuous basis. We are very proud of the various promotions that have been announced throughout the financial year and in particular, the recently announced appointment. Every promotion then also results in a vacancy in the person's former role where that recruitment is from within the service, and those positions then need to be filled. The Turks and Caicos Islands government remains the largest employer of Turks and Caicos Islanders in these islands, with all positions at the highest level of permanent and deputy permanent secretary strictly reserved for Turks and Caicos Islanders, and over 75% of our heads of department positions currently held by Turks and Caicos Islanders as well. Mr. Speaker, we are committed to continuing to recruit and promote the Turks and Caicos Islanders in the public service and are very proud of the appointments that we continue to make as we work to ensure that all vacancies are filled in a timely manner. Thank you, Mr.
0: Speaker. Thank you, Honorable A. G., Honorable Leader of the Opposition. Uh, thank you very much, Mr. Speaker. Mr. Speaker, if possible, uh, may the Honorable A. G., uh lay that response on the table of the House. Can keep up with all the notes there, if she's so cute. Uh Thank you very much. Uh, question 14, Mr. Speaker? Yes, please proceed yes. with question 14. Question number 14 to the Honorable Attorney General. Will the Honorable Attorney General be pleased to say whether or not payment of gratuity is extended to local persons on contract with the public service, such as Parliament Secretaries and Deputy sec- Secretaries? And if so, can she further say how many of them, if any, have received gratuity to date? General. I'm very
3: grateful, Mr. Speaker, and to the Honorable Leader of the Opposition's first question. Mr. Speaker, I'm informed that permanent secretaries and deputy permanent secretaries are currently provided with staggered three- to five-year contracts. The current compared to original contracts contain a 10% gratuity provision, similar to other contract positions. However, this is under discussion, considering the ongoing work on the reinstatement of the public public service pension and gratuity program. To date, all persons within this category have received a gratuity payment. Grateful, Mr. Speaker. Thank
2: you, Honourable AG. The uh, Chair recognizes the Honourable Leader of the Opposition.
0: Yes, and thank you very much, Mr. Speaker. Uh, just one supplementary for clarification. As we know that any one on contract with TCIg who comes in from abroad, they do receive gratuity, whether it's after two, two years, three years, or four years after the contract finish. And we're just wondering, uh, will that same two year, three year, or five year, whenever the contract finished if, if that is extended to Turks and Caicos Islanders who are on contracts. If that same, if that same, uh, that same uh, payment is afforded to Turks and Caicos Islanders. Honorable
2: Attorney General.
3: Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Um, Mr. Speaker, I'm not sure if I understand the question. Um, the response that I have been given says that those contracts, those three to five year contracts have a 10% gratuity provision in them. So I'm not sure if I have
0: missed it. I'm happy to
3: provide anything for
0: Honorable Leader of Opposition. Yes, no, because I was saying that only four persons have been paid that. So I was wondering if that is only four persons have have reached or qualified to be paid uh, gratuity between the sex and Parliament Secretaries of Power, because I believe more than four have left the service or have done more than three or five years. Honorable Attorney General.
3: Thank you. Um, Mr. Speaker, I don't have the answer to that, but I'm happy to acquire the answer and to provide it to the Honorable Leader of the Opposition.
2: Thank you very much, Honorable Attorney General. I think that comes to the end of our parliamentary questions, and so I will now return to the order paper. Honorable members, Number 13, on the order paper, personal explanations. There are none. Number 14, motions for leave of absence. The Chair recognizes the Honorable Premier. Uh, Mr.
1: Mr. Speaker, I'm sure the, the Honorable House would want uh, me to report on my recent visit to the United Kingdom uh, on the occasion of the joint ministerial conference. And uh, if you give me a few minutes, I will I will be very brief. Um, there will be a public press statement on this, but I would think I owe it to the House, to my colleagues in the House. To give them a preview of what that was and report to the House. And so, Mr. Speaker, um, the Deputy Premier and myself, along with our small delegation, went to the United Kingdom. We left. Thursday evening before last, and we had a number of arriving in the United Kingdom on Friday, and on Saturday we had a meeting with the diaspora in Manchester. But uh, let me say that the uh, UK ministers, the conference, as I said, was on the occasion of the Joint Ministerial Council Forum in London. And as I say, we arrived Friday the 19th of November. Um, the U.K., the, 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 the forum consists normally of U.K. ministers, particularly the overseas territory minister, elected leaders and designated representatives gathered in London the United Kingdom on Tuesday the 16th and Wednesday the 17th of November for the first in-person joint ministerial conference since 2018. The Turks and Caicos Islands delegation was led by us truly, uh, Charles Washington Mizek, and the Deputy Premier Honorable Erwin J. Saunders, along with uh, TCIG representative for the UK, Ms. Tracy Knight. The GMC is as you know, is the highest forum for political dialogue and consultation between the United Kingdom and elected leaders and representatives of the overseas territories. The aim of the annual conference is to promote cooperation in areas of mutual interest and provide a setting for the exchange of views on political and constitutional issues between the governments of the overseas territories and the United Kingdom governments. And among those countries, uh, you would be familiar with, with who they are. I'm just concerned about the Turks and Caicos, but they do include the Cayman Islands, Bermuda, British Virgin Islands, Montserrat, Anguilla, and um, I think those are the ones in the Caribbean. And then, then there were several others in different parts of the uh, South Atlantic, in particular, and in the Indian Ocean. So, um, so the delegates attended a total of eight sessions over the course of two days, primarily on matters relating to the environment and oceans, the International Maritime Organization's three-code audit, the UK overseas territory relationship, economic resilience, security, and law enforcement. Health and inclusivity. Uh, we also, uh, on Thursday of last week, uh, had a, a bilateral with the Honorable Minister for the Foreign and Commonwealth Office. The United Kingdom set out its commitments to the overseas territories in the paper Global Britain, which many of you would have seen in a. Com- global, global Britain in a competitive age. The integrated review of security, defense, development, and foreign policy, which articulated the collaboration with overseas territories to address a variety of challenges, including climate change, investment in physical infrastructure, and marine protection. The United Kingdom and overseas territories, we agreed a joint communique, and that communique is available and will be placed online uh, here in Turks and Caicos so that the public can have full view of it, which outline and affirm collaborative commitments to improve coordination across the UK government departments and to conduct regular dialogue on relevant policy issues. Um, at that meeting, the various dependent territories, express overseas territories, rather express their their thanks and um, to the United Kingdom government for the gift of the COVID-19 pandemic medication. Noting that COVID-19 pandemic, natural disasters, and other external elements pose a serious threat to the small and fragile economies of territories. The United Kingdom government reiterated continued partnership with OTs to strengthen health services in territories through existing and new links with the United Kingdom, and the exploration of methods to deliver, or to diversify territory economies and bolster resilience and investment, and to ensure that that the interests and needs of overseas territories will be considered when creating policies and programs that will promote sustainable economic development. The United Kingdom government also shared information on the Conflict Security and Sustainability Fund, known as the CSSF, Justice Program and Border Security Program, which provides to OTs funding and other assistance to fortify and modernize law enforcement capabilities in crime fighting and border protection. To enhance the safety and security of citizens, law enforcement capabilities, and increased capacity in overseas territories the United Kingdom government and territories agreed to share information and best practices and take a multi-agency strategic approach across government to mitigate crime. It was also agreed that the United Kingdom would consider new marine technologies that might assist OTs in the management of issues involved energy and waste. Um, let me speak briefly from my own experience uh, attending the, the forum. As I said earlier, um, at a special we had a special evening event rather at the FCO during the JMC, delegates and students from the overseas territory, including our own Mr. kanu Bean of tci had the opportunity to meet and hear from his royal highness the duke of cambridge on the need to tackle climate change it was a lively exchange of a group of students from across the overseas territories Matt and it was noticeable that the his royal highness uh, was very interested in in speaking with the young people and probably spend more time speaking with them than he did with the rest of us, which was a good indication as to where uh, his interest may be in terms of the future for climate uh, understanding. On Thursday, the 18th of November, the, the, the dele- we, held, we held bilateral talks with the Right Honorable Amanda Mullings Millings, rather, who is the Minister of Responsibility for the Overseas Territories and the Foreign and Commonwealth Office, on a range of issues pertinent to the TCI. I'll speak to those eminently. While in London also, we met with Turks and Caicos Islands All-Party Parliamentary Group, chaired by Alicia Kearns, MP, the TCI All-Party Parliamentary Group, consists of members of both both the House of Commons and the House of Lords with an interest in the islands. The group champions the islands in Parliament, raising issues of concern and holding a majesty's government to account when required. So the utility of having this group is that we can always channel issues through them, including questions, to be raised in Parliament. Um, but my own... My own, um, experience was, was quite, I think Turks and Caicos has a lot to be thankful for and a lot to be proud of. Some of the multi-agency strategic approaches that have been spoken about, uh, some of the things that we are already trying to do in Turks and Caicos islands, uh, and some of it with some degree of success. The what became very clear to me whether viewing it through the ots as a competitive step or as a sister or as a group of sister territories it was very clear to me that the turks and cake is out front in many many ways um the we entered the pandemic in a better position than A lot of other overseas territories, remember the overseas territories, particularly those in the South Atlantic, um, uh, particularly those in the South Atlantic, um, are very small, a lot smaller than ours. The, The major overseas territories are Bermuda, the Cayman Islands, the BVI, and the Turks and Caicos in terms of the size of the population and the commercial survivability or viability um and so i think the from my impression and our know, bilateral which we which was very well my impression of the meeting generally is to be honest with you when i first met Amanda Millings i was not quite sure uh She was brand new to the post. I wasn't quite sure of her grasp of what um, the job was or basically what we were were about as a group of overseas territories. But um, there seems to have been a genuine interest by her uh, to listen, and she did commit to use the United Kingdom ministries and departments to assist the OTs, OTs, to modernize systems and improve efficiency. And um, in our bilateral meetings with the Minister Millings, all the representatives, representation made by Turks and Caicos Islands government was favorably received. And there is a commitment uh, to establish working groups to follow through on the commitments uh, and on the representation. And these include the process to escalate the delivery of the Providenciales International Airport redevelopment. Um, we asked for assistance in terms of the the process, uh, the procurement process, to be accelerated, given the critical nature of the uh, the need to have that piece of infrastructure. Delivered um, before the degradation of our tourism, the tourist experience starts to take place, given the pressure, the current state of repair or disrepair, the sheer number, the sheer traffic coming here, particularly on a weekend. We also took up the issue of the Turks and Caicos Islands Exclusive Economic Zone uh, with its with its neighbors, neighbors, there are some issues to be resolved there that's been ongoing, particularly as it relates to our neighbor, the Dominican Republic, um, that's been a, an issue which uh, we thought we had gotten close to resolve in 1993, uh, but it has implications for our diversification of our economy and to the extent that it, 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 the, the DIAZ claim had an impact on our banks, our ability to exploit that, um, without having, without conflict, but also the demarcation of the economic this economic zone as implication for our 200 miles outside going back towards the, uh, the Atlantic, There are claims to be huge, huge reserves of uh, of course the the Atlantic tuna, the uh, council for the uh, there's there's a whole organization that deals with with that and Turks and Caicos we seem to concentrate on the shallow water rather than to find ways to exploit the bounties of our economic our exclusive economic zone of two hundred miles. Exclusive Economic Zone, and because the government intends to find a way to monetize that, it is important that we have it de- demarcated and have the issues, any any outstanding uh, claim, uh, resolved. Uh, normally, what would happen when you have boundaries like we have with Haiti, the Dominican Republic, and the Bahamas would be to have a system where there's equal distance division between the, the the two, the various countries that is currently not the case with, our neighbors to the south of DR, and we want to try and get that resolved. So we have enlisted the help of the British government whose responsibility is to resolve that and they have favorably committed to doing so. Um, so it's not an issue that was unknown to them. Uh, and so I think we will press them to, to follow through on that. Um, there's also the issue of the, um, maritime surveillance. We spoke to them about providing assistance in that area between the, the the, the ocean between Hispanola and Turks and Caicos, uh, and their commitment to continue assisting with that as is with policing. The whole issue of the risking or the banking of certain Turks and Caicos Islands economic sectors was discussed. Uh, and um, I think there is a... Uh, even before we left here, we had engaged with the Canadian High Commission uh, to look at how we could have high-level meetings in Toronto to see how we can deal with this issue. And of course, uh, one of the other things is the introduction of biannual budgeting. At the moment, we have an annual budgeting system uh, that takes us up to six months to get a budget approved and then be scrambling around to get capital projects uh, drawn down on. And so one one of the things that we have gotten the green light for was the introduction of biannual budget, which means the budget cycle will become the two-year cycle, which will allow us time to plan and to draw it on, rather than spending so much time writing budgets, we can actually be actually uh, doing, uh, doing other things um, more productively. Um, and, of course, the delivery of e-governance, and I can tell you we've just been back here since on Saturday and already, Uh, the Foreign and Commonwealth Office, the tech, the technocrats in that office is already in contact with the Ministry of Finance on some of these issues. So I think they, what, I think we've made a good showing, uh, in the UK and, um, we have very, very active discussions on the bilateral side. I am absolutely certain that we've made tremendous progress. And um, so that is uh, my report on the highlights. Uh, They say the the communique from the JMC will be made public, and the public will also be sensitized or, or, or there will be a press statement released to the public kind of more or less setting up the same issues that I've just spoken to you about. Um, so that's really, that's really where we are with that. Um, Mr. Speaker, I think that's it on the personal explanation the, I believe the, the, uh, I don't know whether the, the deputy haven't traveled with me. Oh, okay. Thanks. But that is uh that is my personal explanation and um thank you
2: thank you very much honorable premier for your your personal explanation on your recent visit to the UK and the the, um, the joint ministerial conference um honorable members We'll now move back to the order paper. Number 14, motions for leave of absence. I did receive, um, notice, um, from the honorable minister for infrastructure that she's unwell, so she was was not here with us today. Number 15 on the order paper. Honorable members, we've also received notice that the Honorable Minister for Immigration is unable to be with us as well today because he is also under under the weather. Let's move to number sixteen on the order paper. Notices of motions for the adjournment of the House on matters requiring urgent consideration. There are none. Number 17, orders of the day. Honorable members, we are now at orders of the day where we will have the second reading of bills. And I now call on the Honorable Attorney General to move for the second reading of the Supreme Court Amendment Bill 2021. Honorable Attorney General.
3: Grateful, Mr. Speaker. Mr. Speaker, I move pursuant to Standing Order 92-2 that the bill entitled Supreme Court Amendment Bill 2021 be now read for a second time. Is that second seconder?
2: Honorable members, motion moved by the Honorable Attorney General, seconded by the Honorable Elected Member for Cheshire Hall and Richmond Hill, that the bill entitled Supreme Court Amendment Bill 2021 be read for a second time. All in favor, say aye. All to the contrary, no. The ayes of it? Madam Clerk? Sorry. Honorable A.G.
3: grateful, Mr. Speaker. Mr. Speaker, this is a very brief amendment, but it's consequential, very important. Um, Mr. Speaker, what this bill seeks to do is to expand the scope of the legal aid program so that legal aid at public expense can be provided for poor persons or um, the indigent person who are arrested and or detained for the commission of crimes or committed for trial before the court on criminal charges or otherwise needing to prosecute or defend a claim before the court or to seek declarations pertinent to the protection of constitutional rights. Mr. Speaker, Section 16 of the Supreme Court Ordinance allows the Chief Justice to make rules for the um, for the court. And so under those rules, uh, there are, a, so under that provision, there are a set of rules, the legal aid rules that were established or created by a former Chief Justice Gordon Ward many years ago. The rules are limited. Um, in terms of what they can do by the provisions of the ordinance, so if um, so, under the ordinance as it stands, uh, legal aid is only available to persons who are subject to criminal um, liability, and um, certainly only in circumstances where they are um, where they're destitute, where they're poor. What is needed is. The, um, the current Chief Justice has observed that there are a number of persons who appear before the courts and they are in need of legal services and they can't afford it, and those persons need to have legal services provided to them, whether they're in a police cell, so that they can have advice on how to, to deal with, um, with the matter. Or whether they are before the courts on um, some domestic, um, domestic proceedings and clearly are not able to, to, to avail themselves of legal um, representation, or in circumstances where their constitutional rights are at risk, and again, they're not uh, able to be represented legally. And that there, you know, there are some. So those matters fall out with the current provision in the Supreme Court ordinance. And although uh, the Chief Justice has observed that there is a need for those persons to have the aid of the state to have legal representation, she is uh, she does not have power to do so. And so, in this regard, um, this proposal comes before the House um, to expand the permitted uh, rules that can be made under the uh, Supreme Court ordinance to allow for more circumstances beyond just a pure criminal liability circumstance where persons can receive legal aid um, and to be assisted and to ensure that justice is done um, in those proceedings. Um, or even before the proceedings, as I said, a person who is in the cell and who needs to have um, legal representation to advise them on how to deal with the police investigation. And so if the House is minded, Mr. Speaker, to approve this proposal, then the Chief Justice will be able to make rules uh, within the legal aid budget that is available to her um, through the appropriation process. To, uh, to provide legal aid support to, to these vulnerable persons. That's the proposal, Mr. Speaker, and I commend the bill to the House for debate. Honorable
2: um, members, the bill entitled Supreme Court Amendment Bill 2021 is now open for debate. Are there any contributions? Are there any contributions? The Chair recognizes the Honorable Leader of the Opposition.
0: Thank you very much, Mr. Speaker. And thank you, the Honorable Attorney General for presenting this bill. Mr. Speaker, needless to say, you know I do support these amendments, Mr. Speaker. I don't think it should come to a support to be a surprise to anyone that I would wholeheartedly support this. Anything that can assist our people, especially those in vulnerable groups, the poor amongst us who may find themselves faced with some kind of legal charges. And like the authority, I would say, not just criminal, but other issues. Mr. Mr. Speaker, I a hundred percent support because not every one of us are able to pay for the good lawyers, for a good lawyer to represent them. And sometimes these persons appear in court with no lawyers, no legal assistance. Mr. Speaker, sorry to say, I have seen many young men uh, brought before the court facing jail time for, no child, for not paying child support. And they do not have their receipts in order. They do not have these things in order. And sometimes they just need uh, some kind of representation uh, to show them how to present what they have been doing for their children. That is only one of the examples that I know about Mr. Speaker. So anything that can help our people, you know, especially those persons who will find themselves in situations being sued. Uh, you have someone card, they're taking you to court saying you owe them so much money and you don't have the money to pay for the car. You don't have the money to pay uh, for the legal representation and you find yourself up in what we call sitting pretty for three, six months, Mr. Speaker. So I 100% support this. Uh, no issues here. It is good for the people, and I definitely will support it, Mr. Speaker. Thank you very much.
2: Thank you very much, Honorable Member, for your contribution. The Chair recognizes the
4: Honorable Governor's
2: appointed member,
4: number one. Thank you, Mr. Chair. Mr. Chair, I rise to give my support to this amendment. I think it is timely to provide more access to justice for people. And in particular, it will serve as another check and balancing to the police and doing investigation and the arresting of offenders. They will now be forced to be more careful. Because if they arrest someone and they violate the constitutional rights, there will be consequences. Too many times, we are seeing um, cases where persons have grounds to sue the police, but they don't do it because they cannot afford to pay an attorney at law. So I do believe that this is a great um, amendment. I support it 100%. And those persons whose constitutional rights violated, they now will be able to seek redress before the courts. So I thank you, Mr. Speaker.
2: Thank you very much, Honorable Member, for your contribution. Are there any further contributions? Are there any further contributions? Are there any further contributions? If there no further contributions, I'll ask the Honorable Attorney General to wrap up the debate.
3: Thank you very much, Mr. Speaker. and. Thank you very much to the honorable members for supporting this um, this important amendment. Um, Mr. Speaker, you know, access to justice is a very fundamental and important principle. And so on that basis, it's it heartening to hear um, the support of members for for something is obviously deserving of it. So with that, Mr. Speaker, I move pursuant to Standing Order 93 that the bill entitled Supreme Court Amendment Bill 2021 be to referred to a committee of the whole. Do I, a, do I have a
4: seconder?
2: Honorable members, motion moved by the Honorable Attorney General and seconded by the Honorable elected member for Cheshire Hall and Richmond Hill that the bill entitled Supreme Court Amendment Bill 2021 20, be committed to the committee of the whole house. All those in favor, say aye. All to the contrary, no. The ayes have it. Honorable members, I now call on the Honorable Attorney General to move for the second reading of the National Security Council Bill 2021. Honorable Attorney General i grateful,
3: Mr. Speaker. Mr. Speaker, I move pursuant to Standing Order 92 that the bill entitled National Security Council Bill 2021 be now read for a second time. Do you have a seconder?
2: Honorable members, motion moved by the honorable Attorney General, second by the honorable elected member for Cheshire Hall and Richmond Hill, that the bill entitled National Security Council Bill 2021 be read for a second time. All in favor say aye. All to the contrary, no. Aye. The ayes have it. Honorable Attorney General.
3: Thank you very much, Mr. Speaker. Mr. Speaker, the National Security Council um, was established under an ordinance in 2016. And this bill would seek to repeal and replace that ordinance, uh, making some changes to the structure. And those changes are predominantly following a review. And of course, giving, given the amount of time that um, this new organization has a um, or new entity has um, has has been established. Uh, since its establishment, the National Security Secretariat has been created, and um, and over uh, over this period um, has grown, and the areas that it covers. Um, uh, you know, have grown and there have been lessons learned in terms of the structure of the National Security Council and the National Security Council um, advisory uh, body as well. And, um, and so what this bill would seek to do is to uh, maintain the National Security Council Um, but would recognize some of the um, additional post holders that have been created, including the Permanent Secretary to the National Security Council, National Security Secretariat, um, and the existence of the secretariat itself, and how the interplay between the National Security Council and the um, National Security uh, Advisory Group and the National Security Secretariat, and um, and so, Mr. Speaker, uh, effectively that's what the bill does. Um, when we go through the bill, um, the, the members will see various, the various changes that have been made, but. Um, but it effectively recognizes those key, um, the key national security structure that has been developed over, over the intervening years in the island. So, Mr. Speaker, with that, I commend the bill for debate in the House.
2: Thank you very much, Honorable Attorney General. Honorable members, the floor is now open for debate on the National Security Council Bill 2021. Uh, Are there any contributions? The Chair recognizes the
0: Honorable Leader of the Opposition.
2: Uh, Thank you
0: very much, Mr. Speaker. Uh, Again, let me thank the Attorney General uh, for the presentation. Again, this is one of those uh, bills uh, that is very straightforward and that is needed. Uh, We all supported uh, the setting up of the National Security Council. And certainly we are happy, you know, and King's Islanders should be happy to see that this unit, this body is now uh, recruiting and filling those needed positions and getting all the different uh, or, uh, councils or uh, the different or <laughs> what what do you call it? Yes, yes. The Secretariat. (laughs) Yes. Thank you very much, Honorable Attorney General. Yes, Mr. Speaker, that word was escaping me. The the Secretariat, Uh, everything set up for the proper functioning. Uh, Of course, we don't want no organization to be a one-man or one-woman show or two-man, two-woman. We want there to be accountability. We want there to be structure. And this father continue to have those structures put in place. So, uh, of course, when we go in committee, if any changes need to be made, we will certainly address it here. But Mr. Speaker, as the bill stands, we 100% support getting those structures in place in the National Security Council. Thank you very much, Honorable
2: Mandibar, for your contribution. Are there any further contributions? Are there any further contributions? Are there any further contributions? There be no further contributions. I'll call on the Honourable Attorney General to wrap up the debate.
3: Thank you, Mr. Speaker, and thank you to the Honourable Leader of the Opposition for his support um, and in respect of, as he said, a very straightforward um, proposal. And so, in that regard, Mr. Speaker, I move pursuant to Standing Order ninety-three for the bill entitled National Security Council Bill two thousand twenty-one to be referred to the Committee of the Whole. Second
2: it. Honourable Members, motion moved by the Honourable Attorney General, second by the Honourable Elected Member for Cheshire Hall and Richmond Hill, that the bill, the Bill entitled National Security Council Bill two thousand twenty-one be committed to the committee of the whole house. All in favor say aye. All to the contrary, no. I have it. Honorable members, I will now suspend this house to allow the Deputy Speaker to take his seat in the committee of the whole House. This House is hereby
1: suspended. Honorable Members, we are now in the Committee of the Whole, considering the Supreme Court Amendment Bill 2021. Madam Clerk? Clause 1, short title and commences. Honorable
3: Attorney General. Mr. Chair, I move that Clause 1 now stand as part of the, of the bill. May I have a seconder?
1: Motion moved by the Honorable Attorney General, second by the Honorable Minister for Education. At Clause 1, now stand as part of the bill. Those in favor say aye. Those of the contrary, no. The ayes have it. Any contributions? Are there any contributions? Are there any contributions? There being no contribution, the question is that clause one stand as part of the bill. Those in favor say aye. Those to the contrary, no. The ayes have it. Madam Clerk. Clause
3: two, interpretation.
1: Honorable Attorney General.
3: Mr. Chair, I move that
1: Clause 2 now stand as part of the bill. Dovah Sessner? Motion moved by the Honorable Attorney General, second by the Honorable Minister for Education, that Clause 2 now stand as part of the bill. Those in favor say aye. Those in the contrary, no. The ayes have it. Any contributions? Are there any contributions? Are there any contribution? There being no contribution, the question is that clause two now stand as part of the bill. Those in favor say aye. Those of contrary say no. The ayes have it. Madam clerk. Clause three,
3: section 16 amended.
1: Honorable attorney general.
3: Mr. Chair, I moved that clause three now stand as part of the bill. Do I have a seconder?
1: Motion moved by the Honorable Attorney General, second by the Honorable Minister for Education, that clause 3, uh, Section 16 amended, now stands as part of the bill. Those in favor say aye. Those to the contrary, no. Aye. The ayes have it. Honorable members, we'll now consider the National Security Council Bill 2021. Madam Clerk? Clause 1, short title and commencement. Honorable
3: Attorney General. Mr. Chair, I move that Clause 1 now stand as part of the bill. Do have a second
1: Motion before, motion moved by the Honorable Attorney General, seconded by the Honorable Member for Cheshire Hall, that Clause 1 now stand as part of the bill. Those in favor say aye, those of contrary, no. The ayes have it. Any contributions? Are there any contributions? Are there any contributions? There being no contribution, the question is that clause one stands as part of the bill. Those in favor say aye. Those to the contrary, no. The ayes have it, Madam Clerk. Clause two,
3: interpretation.
1: Honorable Attorney General.
3: Mr. Chair, I move that clause two now stand as part of the bill. Do we second
1: it? Second. Motion moves by the honourable attorney general, second by the honourable minister for education, and clause two stands as part of the bill. Those in favor say aye. Those in the contrary, no. The ayes have it. Are there any contributions? Are there any
4: contributions?
1: Are there any contributions? They're making a contribution. The question is that clause two stands part of the bill. Those in favor say aye, those of the contrary, no. Aye. The ayes have it. Madam Clerk. Honorable Attorney General.
3: Mr. Chair, um, Mr. Chair, if it isn't too late, I'm just wondering if it is if the committee would be pleased to take the bill in part.
1: Thank you, Honorable Attorney General. Any any objections to that? Good. Will I take part two then? Honorable Attorney General? Part two. Madam Clerk. Part
3: two, National Security Council.
0: Honorable Attorney General.
3: Grateful, Mr. Chair. Mr. Chair, I move that part two now form part of the bill. Do I have a seconder?
1: Yeah. Motion moved by the Honorable Attorney General, seconded by the Honorable Minister for Education, that part two stand as part of the bill. Those in favor say aye. Those to the contrary, no. Aye. The ayes have it. Adam Clinton. Are there any contributions? Okay.
4: The chair recognizes the governor's appointed member oh, number one. Thank you, Mr. Chair. The chair, I just have a uh, question for the uh, Attorney General on Clause 3 the members of the National Security Council, and in particular, clause 3G, whether they could be, instead of one other minister, it could be uh, one other member of the House of Assembly, perhaps, since we already have five members of the Cabinet and the National Security Council, that other member will be uh, a backbench of, of, of the government. But I'm just wondering if we could have that uh, if it's possible to have a member of the House of Assembly in G, as opposed to one other minister. Thank you, Honorable Member, for your contribution. Honorable Attorney General.
3: Thank you very much, Mr. Chair, and to the Honorable Member. Um, Mr. Chair, the National Security Council is normally the executive branch of government. And so it, um, you know, it would be uh, unusual to have a member um, from the House, the backbencher um, from the House, but um, at the moment, the composition includes a minister, but it it, de- it designates which minister. And what is recognized by this clause is that the threats, of course, vary from time to time. And it may be that, um, as it was at the outset, that the threat was perceived to be an immigration. But um, but the threat may may be somewhere else, so it only provides more flexibility about you know the area of of, of operations where that threat would come from um, as to which minister it would be. But um, you know normally the National Security Council is the is the executive branch.
0: Thank you, thank you, honorable The chair recognizes the honorable leader of the opposition. Yes, uh, thank you very much. Attorney General for that explanation, and that is that uh, is my perception of that section also, because uh, like how Covid was the thing last year and this year you may want uh, uh, being biggest threat to national security might be the pandemic, you might want the minister of health present there at that time uh, but I was wondering if consideration uh to the director of public prosecution dpp uh were they considered here or and why they were well left out of this list of persons, the DPP. Honorable Attorney General.
3: Thank you very much, um, Mr. Chair, and to the Honorable Leader of the Opposition. Um, it, the DPP was not considered here, as far as I know. Uh, I, happen, I happen to not have not been in the discussions concerning the bill in the National Security Council, because I was unwell during the time, that they were doing that. But um, in looking over the notes and so on, I don't see any reference to the DPP having been considered um, there. This is not really the kind of bill that I would feel um, that I should make changes to. Um, but, um, you know, that what I could do is take that away and have that considered for further have made further consideration by the council.
1: Thank you, Honorable Attorney General. Any any further contributions? Are there any further contributions? Are there any further contributions? There being no further contribution, the question is that part two now stands part of the bill. recognises
5: the honourable member for the by Uh, Thank you, Mr. Chair. Um, Mr. Chair, on the National Security Council, um, under um, 9, a person invited to a meeting of the Council under Subsection 8 may participate in the deliberation, but shall have no right to vote at any meeting. Maybe the AG can give a little clarity on that, Mr. Chair. Honourable Attorney
3: General, thank you very much, Mr. Chair, and to the honourable member. Um, so that provision is actively utilised by the council, be- depending on the threat which is being considered at the particular meeting. Um, it may be that the council would need to have the benefit of, um, you know, technical persons who are in the particular area. To come in to the council to assist the council in its consideration, and so on this basis, persons have been invited in are regularly invited in um, for the purpose of a particular discussion, and then um, they would withdraw. So um, the council has had, um, you know, well, I don't want to breach any <laughs> confidences, but persons from within the Turks and Caicos Islands as well as persons, officials from outside of the islands who've come to assist the council in its deliberations from time to time. And it's that provision that allows the persons to come in to provide the benefit of their experience or knowledge or expertise, but um, they, do, they then withdraw, but they don't participate in the decision uh, making of the, of the council but that could also include permanent secretaries for a particular area who can come in and again, uh, answer questions from the council about a piece of work um, or an area of concern. Um, so it, it's, an act, it's an actively used
1: provision. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you, Honourable Tony General. Any Thank you. You, you. Okay, you're good. Thank you very much. Any, any further contributions? Any further contributions? There being no further contribution. The question is that part two stand as part of the bill. Those in favor say aye. Those who the contrary, no. The ayes have it. Madam Clerk. Part three,
3: National Security Advisory
1: Group. Honorable Attorney General.
3: Mr. Chair, I move that part three now stand as part of the bill. Do I have a seconder?
0: Motion moved by the honourable attorney general, second
1: by the honourable member for Cheshire Hall. The part three stand as part of the bill. Those in favor say aye. Those to the contrary, no. The ayes have it. Any any contribution? Are there any contributions? Are there any contributions? There being no contribution, the question is that part three stand as part of the bill. Those in favor say aye. Those that are contrary, no. The ayes have it. Madam Clerk. Part four,
3: National Security Secretariat. Honorable Attorney General. Very grateful, Mr. Chair. I move that part four now stand as part of the bill. Do have a seconder?
1: Motion moved by the Honorable Attorney General, second by the Honorable Member for Cheshire Hall. The part four stands as part of the bill. Those in favor say aye, those to the contrary, no. The ayes have it. Any contribution? Are there any contributions?
5: The chair recognizes the honorable member for the party. Uh Thank you, Mr. Chair. Um, for, the, for Madam A.G., um, the function of the secretariat, which is um, outlined in here, but does the uh, secretariat have any, uh, I'm glancing here, I see um, provide regular briefing to the council on the status of national security, uh, strategic decision. Does the Secretariat have any input different from just taking um, notes or handling the administrative aspect of it? Uh, what other role does the Secretariat play? Honorable Attorney General.
3: Thank you very much, um, Honorable, um, the, the Honorable Chair, and to the Honorable Member for the question. So the Secretariat um, is the expertise. Within the National Security Council, and um, I, in this part, it's new, um, and so that that secretariat has been recently established, and um, it there are not all of the positions as I indicated in the part in the last meeting of the House. Um, I believe there are now some six positions in the secretariat, but not all of them are, are filled because some of them require technical skills and um and so research and um you know undertaking outreaches to um to international bodies and to other jurisdictions um liaising and coordinating with with uh national security stakeholders the um the secretariat plays a a central role in the council um, because as members would imagine, previously when there wasn't any secretary, effectively they had a secretary, and so that is one person whose part-time job it was to provide that service. And so in terms of moving the work of the council along, that was really being done by the members in their individual office role. And so now that the secretariat is there, yeah. it's able to further the work of, uh, of the national security issues um to give life to the national security strategy and and um the actions that are set out there. And so it plays a very central and important role. And the persons for the most part that the posts the posts that are there are, are specialist type posts, in addition to um the things that are listed there, uh, which is to keep the Premier abreast of strategic national security initiatives. Um, provide administrative oversight and strategic policy guidance, request and receive information and intelligence from all national security related agencies to formulate and maintain um, formulate and maintain a whole of country threat and security perspective to report to the council, etc. So aside from um, from those things, so um, you know, uh, uh, there's a wide range of um, of activities there, um, Mr. Mr. Chair. If that is is that is satisfying to the member, then I just note through that intervention that there is a, a typo that is in um, clause that is in clause um, nine, um, clause nine. Um, Case, um, in the third line, the word "maintain" is misspelled there. So, Mr. Chair, I do move that the word um, that the word that is the third word in the third line should be deleted and replaced by the word "maintain." The "ing" should be deleted at the end of that word, so that it should be "maintain." And the "and" that follows paragraph K should be um, deleted. And after the paragraph L, um, the word and inserted. So the word maintain is misspelled in paragraph K. And I move that that be deleted and substituted by the correct spelling of maintain. That is to strike the ing. And to delete the word and at the end of paragraph K, and to insert the word and at the end of paragraph l i still move mr chair do i have a seconder
1: motion moved by the honorable or- attorney general seconded by the honorable minister for education at uh part nine part four section nine k b amended by deleting a portion of the word maintaining to "to maintain and at the end of that paragraph delete the word and and such, section l to insert and at the end of the paragraph those in favor say aye those of the contrary no the eyes have it any further contributions? Any further contributions? Any further contribution? There being no further contribution, the question is that part four as amended now stand as part of the bill. Those in favor say aye. Those to the contrary, no. The ayes have it. Madam Clerk. Part
3: uh, five,
1: miscellaneous. Honorable Attorney General.
3: Mr. Chair move that part five now stand as part of the bill. Do I have a second? Second.
1: No? Okay. Motion moved by the Honorable Attorney General. Second by the Honorable Minister for Education. That part five now stand as part of the bill. Those in favor say aye. Those that are contrary? No. I have it. Any contribution? Are there any contributions?
5: The Chair recognizes the honorable member for the Um Thanks, Mr. Chair. Um, Mr. Chair, in declaration by members of the Council and Advisory Group um, on three, where the governor has good reason to believe that there has been a breach by a member of the declaration made pursuant to subsection one, the governor acting in his discretion may suspect, sorry, two, I'm sorry, without prejudice to any other penalties that may be imposed under any other law, the governor acting in his discretion may in writing exclude from the activities of the council or advisory group or revoke the membership of the council. But what I find um, maybe um, that I know for sure the AG should be able to give clearance on is um, under the law, the governor acting in his discretion may in writing exclude from the activity. I, I don't understand that quite well. The governor, who does the governor? right to all. In writing, he may exclude from the activities. Honourable Attorney General.
3: Grateful, Mr. Chair, and to the Honorable Member. I'm just looking at the ordinance as it currently stands and made in 2016. And um, in that, the similar provision was, is, section eight two um where where the governor has that power to exclude uh any such person from the um the activities of the council the group in this case the um in this case the change is that, that that exclusion would be in writing and so it's effectively that The governor can write to a person who is otherwise entitled to be in the council or the group to exclude that person to say to that person that they cannot attend the meetings of the group or participate in an activity of the group um, because of um, because of as a penalty um, because the person has failed to. Um, Sorry, because that member is being investigated in this case, and any investigation is going on. So while that investigation is going on, the person is excluded from the activities of the group. Now, this kind of um, exclusion is often protective because it protects the person. From anyone saying that they're using while this cloud, whatever the cloud is, that is the investigation that is going on. Um, that that person is using his or her influence in the council or in the group, um, or that the presence of that person in the council or in the group brings the group into some kind of disrepute, um, and so it protects the it protects the person and it protects the council or the group from anyone making that kind of um, position or accusation because the person is not participating in the in the group while the investigation is going on. So that is not an unusual provision. It, um, it is the kind of provision that provides uh, a sort of stopgap measure until a determination has been made about whatever the accusation is.
1: Thank you, Honorable Attorney General. Are there any other contributions? Are there any other contributions? Are there any other contributions? There being no further contribution, the question is that part five stand as part of the bill. Those in favor say aye. Those that are contrary, no. The ayes have it. (coughs) Honorable members, the committee stands suspended until His Honor, the Speaker, takes the chair.
2: <clears throat> Honorable members, I want to thank the Honorable Deputy Speaker for presiding in the Committee of the Whole House and seeing the passage of those bills. Honorable members, we are now at the third reading of bills. And I now call on the honorable attorney general to proceed.
3: Grateful Mr. Speaker. Mr. Speaker, I move pursuant to standing order 99-1 that the bill entitled Supreme Court Amendment Bill 2021 be now read for a third time. So the
2: have a seconder? Yes. Honorable members, motion moved by the Honorable Attorney General, second by the Honorable Minister for Education, that the bill entitled Supreme Court Amendment Bill 2021 be read for a third time. All in favor say aye, all to the contrary, no. The ayes have it. Madam Clerk?
3: This ordinance may be decided as the Supreme Court Amendment Ordinance 2021 and shall come into operation on such day as the Governor may appoint by notice published in the Gazette.
2: Thank you very much, Madam Clerk, Honorable Attorney General.
3: Mr. Speaker, I move pursuant to Standing Order 99-5, that the bill entitled Supreme Court Amendment Bill 2021 do now pass. Do I have a seconder?
2: Second. Honorable members, motion moved by the Honorable Attorney General, second by the Honorable Minister for Education, that the bill entitled Supreme Court Amendment Bill 2021 do now pass. All those in favor say aye. All to the contrary, no. The ayes have it. Honorable members, the bill entitled Supreme Court Amendment Bill 2021 do now pass. Honorable members, we will now have the third reading of the National Security Council Bill 2021, and I call on the Honorable Attorney General to proceed. Honorable Attorney General.
3: Mr. Speaker, I move pursuant to Standing Order 99.1, that the bill entitled National Security Council Bill 2021 be now read for a third time. Do I have a seconder?
2: Honorable members, motion moved by the Honorable Attorney General, second by the Honorable Elected Member for Cheshire Hall and Richmond Hill that the bill entitled National Security Council Bill 2021 be read for a third time. All those in favor say aye. All to the contrary, no. The ayes have it. Madam Clerk.
3: This ordinance may be cited as the National Security Council Ordinance 2021 and shall come into operation on such date as the governor may appoint by notice published in the Gazette.
2: Thank you very much. Madam Clerk, Honorable Attorney General.
3: Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Mr. Speaker, I move pursuant to 19, Standing Order 99.5 that the bill entitled National Security Council Bill 2021 be now read but do now pass. Do I have a second up? Huh?
2: Honorable members, motion moved by the Honorable Attorney General, second by the Honorable Elected member 4. Cheshire Hall and Richmond Hill, that the bill entitled National Security Council Bill 2021 to now pass. All in favor say aye, all to the contrary, no, the ayes have it. Honorable members, the bill entitled National Security Council Bill 2021 do now pass. Honorable members, we'll now move back to the the second reading of bills and the Integrity Commission Amendment Bill number two, Bill 2021, and I'll ask the Honorable Attorney General to proceed. Honorable Attorney General.
3: pray for Mr. Speaker. Mr. Speaker, I move pursuant to standing order 922 and four that the bill entitled Integrity Commission Amendment number no. two Bill 2021 be read for a second time on on 30th November 2021. Do you
2: have a seconder? Honorable members, motion moved by the honorable attorney general, seconded by the honorable minister for education, that the bill entitled Integrity Commission Amendment number no. two Bill 2021 be read for a second time on the 30th of November 2021. All those in favor say aye, all to the contrary, no. The ayes have it. Aye. Honorable members. Please note the subsidiary legislations at the back of your order paper that have been made since November.
1: Honorable Premier. Mr. Mr. Speaker, I move that this House now stand adjourned to November 30th at 10 a.m. in the morning. Okay. Mr. Speaker, I move that this House stand adjourned, signing dying Honorable members, this honorable house stands adjourned. Sunny